Welcome back, everyone, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting and important podcast in the world, covering Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. And I am joined by Mr. Rob Bowron. And Rob, I am not going to lie. We will uh, very quickly start pivoting to basketball, <laughs> particularly after this <laughs> uh, this latest outing from the Arizona football program. But uh, how are you, man? Um, I'm doing great. I am in the uh, the land of milk and honey. I am in Tucson itself for Thanksgiving. So I had, uh, I had Casa Molina for dinner. So I am stuffed with, uh, uh, some, uh, beef that was cooked in some green chili and, uh, tamales. So life's pretty good. That's delicious. <laughs> where, where are some of your go-to restaurants in the Tucson greater area? Oh, like, I'm a little terrible because like, like many of us in our time in Tucson, we were dirt poor yeah. when we lived here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oregano's like that was the nicest place yeah. I ever went when I was there. Um, so I, I mean, there's some obvious ones. Like my brother worked for a little bit at uh, Hotel Congress, and uh, so the Cup Cafe, like for breakfast, is great. Uh, the Blue Willow on Campbell, hell yeah, um, yes, I think it's a really nice place to go get some brunch. I'm all like, I, I'm, uh, I'm always partial to go like the lemonade at the Arizona Inn. Like if you can make a, an excuse to go grab lunch there, I know it's, it's a little white tablecloth and a little fancy. You can also grab lunch at the bar, but they make it like they freeze the lemons from on the property to make this lemonade. And it's like, a it's, it's an amazing recipe. Um, and then, uh, like cafe or Casa Molina is really good. Um, and then like the, I actually, there's a, there's a couple Ethiopian places I really like that. I can't remember the name of right now, but, yeah, I really wish I had. Uh, I really wish I had spent more time in Tucson when I actually had income. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, my mom's family all lives here, so when I come here now, it's like, oh, um, where are we going to go uh, for dinner tonight? Which aunt's house uh, are we going to go eat at? So um, I do. I eat out less here than I, I. I wish. I can't remember. There's the place that Bill Clinton ate. The famous place that Bill Clinton ate uh, at. Me, me like in South Tucson. Yeah, yeah that's marvelous. It's good. I mean, it's good. I, there's better Mexican food. I'm not going to lie. I, I know. Look, the president went there and he it's funny when you go there and it has the menu of all of the things that Bill Clinton ate. And then oh, you realize yeah. why he was in poor health. You're like, oh, my God. He ate like 1,500 <laughs> yeah. calories or 15,000 calories in this one meal. It's pretty crazy. Um but uh, so La Tiquera Pico de Gallo is one of my favorite places. I always go there. They have great shrimp tacos. They hand make their tortillas. They have the horchata, the horchata like in the yeah. in the plastic tub with like the with the metal ladle that they're hand scooping out of it, and it's amazing. Um, so they have never sponsored the podcast, but I'm a huge fan of them. Definitely check them out. Um, but let, let's uh, we're talking about all of this because we don't want to talk about the bad news that is the Arizona <laughs> football program. Another 69 point win for Washington. They just can't uh, can't avoid that number for some reason. Um, before we get into this, uh, two things. First is make sure to tune into our sister brother i probably we'll call the brother podcast since two since two dudes. Um, Adam and Ronnie are already covering basketball, so. 
If you tune into this podcast, make sure to check, check into the second podcast that usually drops on Wednesday or Thursday. And Ronnie and Adam are covering that. I have gone halfway through my research for uh, Arizona basketball, uh, f- not just for our team, but for all of the Pac-12. So I have a pretty good handle. And we wrote a lot of articles on the Pac-12 teams last year. And to be honest, like for as much complaining as individually I did about uh, Arizona basketball, the teams that we played and the coverage that we did of those, like we, we got them pretty, we were pretty close. Close uh, to a lot of the, the results of those games. So um, we do do our research on those. So stay tuned for our basketball uh, podcast and our uh, we'll move to basketball in a few weeks and still have, you know, our, our hand on the pulse of college football with some of these hirings and firings and all that stuff and, and the recruiting classes. But uh, the second thing is you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Wildcat Radio AZ, and you can follow us on any basically podcast catcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We are on there. Rob, though, 6928, Washington State. We had talked in our preview about uh, the instances in which Arizona could beat Washington State. We were coming off uh, by. We had plenty of time to prepare. We had a Khalil Tate that was 100% healthy and we thought might actually start taking off and running. And he had eight carries this whole game. And that is unacceptable if we are trying to actually win a game against a top 10 team that is manned by Gardner Minshew. And we thought that he would basically pick apart our secondary. I didn't think he was going to drop a 69 burger on this team. And he certainly did. Um, <laughs> what, what? So you watched most of the, I, I watched the majority of this game. I missed the first half of the first half. What, where, what the F like, how, how did this happen? I mean, this happened because Arizona's defense was completely unprepared for this game. I mean, there's no, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, Arizona barely rushed Minshew. He, he was able to sit there statuesque um, under almost no pressure. Um, and this is the second time Yates has made this decision against Washington state. So the last time when um, we went out to the blues and got 69 put out, put on us, you may remember Marshall Yates was the defensive coordinator and he barely rushed um, Luke Falk that entire game and in this game like I mean Michael Lev had some breakdown of it but most of the time Arizona was just sending three or four rushers um, and trying to rely on those three or four getting home enough and with dropping you know seven or eight um, to be able to cover uh, Washington State's receivers for long enough and that clearly didn't work <laughs> Um, I mean, some of like, there's no two ways about it. I mean, some of this is on Arizona's offense. I mean, Washington state is not a very good defense. Um, Arizona's offense should have probably put up more points, uh, than 28 points, but I don't think 28 points is, you know, like I would have liked to have seen Arizona with maybe a touchdown more, you know, this is, this game is not on as much on Khalil Tate as I would, uh, or Arizona's offense. Like this is entirely on, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, (laughs) <laughs> it would be very difficult to expect this Arizona offense to come in and put up 70. I mean, this is the defense needed to, you know, hold Washington state, you know, 30 points below what they put up to the offense to have a chance. And they didn't. I want to like, I want to stop you for a moment on the, we should have put up more points. Clearly we did, but this strikes me as very similar to the Houston game where yeah. 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we did in the second half because this game was out of hand. And I got quite frustrated with a lot of the writers that cover Arizona football that were talking about, oh, the the takeaways from this game, you know, we were, and and by the way, there's none of that in this game. That's how much of a a clown punch this game was. But it does frustrate me sometimes when people will point to the bright side. Oh, in the second half, like we offensively did X, Y, and Z. Houston was up 35 or some crap, like to zero and basically gave up in the second half. Like you all can score whatever you want. Doesn't really matter. Yes. We scored 14 points in the second half, but like I give that basically zero weight uh, because we were down by so much. And it is um, my bigger question to you is because I didn't see the first half of the first half. You have uh, eight rushes by Khalil Tate. I know some of that is negated by the uh, the yardage that he put up was negated by the fact that Washington State was able to get some tackles for a loss and sack him and stuff. But at the end of the day, you still have 25 yards and eight rushes, and he did have a 33-yarder. But what what the heck? Like, are we just – we're just never going to – we're never going to rush him anymore. Like that was what made him so dangerous. And it just seems like we have my big hope for this game was, okay, yes, he was hurt. Yes. His ankle hurts, but like, let's, let's see what he can do and let's see what made him special last year. And he either he or this coaching staff does not want to participate that in, in that. And it is just so freaking frustrating that that's the case. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that I would expect him to put up the kind. I mean, even against Purdue, when he didn't have a great rushing game against Purdue because they were not um, crashing down the end uh, and they were leaving Gandon to to keep Tate from uh, taking off. Um, he still had twenty carries in that game. Um, he is not going to run twenty times uh, in this offense, but ten is reasonable. I mean, that's about what Brent Hundley and Trevor Knight ran um, with Noah Mazzoni's offense. Uh, and I, I do think that with that 10 range, you can get to like with as dangerous as take can be, you know, what I, I think the other part is, is that as Washington state really pulled away, Arizona was forced to throw the football and there's no, there's no getting around it. I yeah, mean, Arizona, that's fair. Yeah. That's a fair point. I mean, like there, you, you have to throw the ball because, um, you have a greater, like incompletion, stop the clock. You know, you have a chance to slow the game down, um, you know, try to catch up and, I just, I, I think this, I would have loved to have seen this, you know, at least be a shootout, you know, yeah. <laughs> that'd have been a hell of a lot more fun, but Washington state was so efficient. I mean, just mechanically efficient against Arizona's craptastic defense, um, in this game. And, uh, I mean, you blinked, I mean, Washington state scored every time they had the ball, uh, pretty much in the first half. So. I thought they were going to score a hundred points. Like I legitimately <laughs> thought, that, especially when, when you go to <laughs> halftime and Mike Leach is just like, well, you know, we got halfway to go. Like, Oh my God. He's like, what, what did Kevin Sumlin do to him when they were at Texas tech or whatever they were like, wherever they coached <laughs> yeah. together, like, Holy Moses, like this could well, get really out of hand. I used to think that people really didn't like Rich. Rod- I mean, I, I still think this is true. Like, I think a lot of other coaches did not like Rich Rodriguez. Um, I think he has some people that like him in the coaching profession and are his friends. But I also think that there are people like Jim Mora that genuinely did not like Rich Rod and would run up the score when they got the shot. Um, I don't know that. I think Mike Leach is just like, it's your job to stop me. But yeah, that was, <laughs> that was <laughs> this was a, this is a hideous game. I mean, and if you were going to, I mean, I've probably gone back and forth on the seesaw um, with Arizona's defense, and they've they had some of their better performances of the season in the last few weeks. But 
Um, this is, I mean, this was horrendous schematically. This was, this is a lot of, this is on Marcel Yates, you know, like he made, he, he had a, he, he had the exact same game plan he had two years ago and it didn't work. If, um, if they hold, look, we, we said this game was going to be, you know, 40 to 35 or 45 to 35 or something yeah. like that. If Yates <laughs> shaves, <laughs> if Yates just doesn't, uh, piss in his own cornflakes. Basically, this game looks a lot more uh, competitive, com- kind of competitive. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be more competitive, right? Like if we don't yeah. give up thirty-four points in the, se- in the yeah. second quarter, this game looks a little bit more competitive, and he might still have his job at the end of the year. But he didn't. I mean, like it is it is difficult because yes, Arizona had some good defensive outings in the in the couple, last couple of years. But with that said, watching Oregon's offense again against ASU and just how inept that play calling is i feel a little bit better about our, our misgivings about arizona's defense before we went into that game and uh, yeah we have some safeties but like we've been harping on them for a while and they put two games together and we're like oh well maybe you know like as long as they hold yeah. them to 45 and like you can't give 69 points up to anybody like you just can't you just can't right. like i is, is yates gone at, at the end of the year i would assume he is but uh, what do you think I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, like we've had three years of Yates. Um, right now, the the defense is grading out at 88 in beta rank um, after this latest performance. I mean, Washington State just thumped them. Um, and it was, again, I mean, this, you know, Yates has had in the three years, I mean, one really good outing, that, that Oregon game this year, wouldn't you say, where he really, you really felt like he had a scheme that worked. Um, and it wasn't just a bad offense that he was playing against. Um, yeah, well, like well, here's here's another question for you on this: where he was throwing some different looks at Oregon, which confu- Herbert is a good quarterback. I know that play calling is terrible over there at Oregon, and I think most Oregon fans would say the same thing. <laughs> I, I did think in the second half we saw some different looks on the defensive front, and that was yeah. good. But it certainly, like, again, it was the second half really didn't matter at that point because they were up by so much. How how do you not have a, some sort of game plan like that planned out for the first half? It just it, it is baffling that that is the case with this coach. And I, I don't know, like, it, <laughs> like the first I mean, I'm sorry, but like the first freaking quarter, they put 21 points up and it clearly wasn't working. Clearly. <laughs> wasn't working. The game plan of dropping eight wasn't working and they didn't change it. Like they didn't, they didn't move to something else. They didn't change up the play calling. They went to that second quarter with the same garbage and they got 34 put up on them. Like that's crazy. Like there is no, you could not eat like there, there's like the amazing thing about this is, is like the argument somehow, like if you're going to make the argument to me, that somehow in that first half, Arizona could have been beaten worse if they had blitzed. That is crazy because they gave up points nearly every time Washington State touched the ball. You know, like it couldn't have been worse. Like that was as bad as it could have gotten. And I guess I just, in three years, we've seen almost no progress. Um, we've seen very little uptick in recruiting, uh, which is the promise of Yates was that recruiting was going to get better. You know, I don't think I think the, the the myth of Rich Rod restricting his play calling has proven to be just that this season. 
Um, and he just, he looks outmanned, not just from a talent perspective on the field, but, um, which I think was somewhat of Arizona's problem with, um, Castile and Rodriguez. But I think he looks, he looks at, he's regularly outcoached and that that's something you just can't afford. I mean, in this game, like you, you're a power five school. Like you need to, you need to go out and make a move, um, and bring in somebody that's, uh, a far better play caller and surround them with guys that can recruit. I mean, you don't need your defensive coordinator to be an ace recruiter. Like it's awesome. If that's the case, it's okay. If they're just a good recruiter or an okay recruiter. Um, but Arizona should go out and try to find somebody schematically that, um, they can pay and they should pay big money to, I mean, if Kevin, someone hangs his hat on offense, um, you know, you need to pair him with somebody that can, um, run a solid defense beside him. And that's where you should spend more of your money. In many of the darts that normally would be thrown at a head coach have been deflected to Yates and to Mazzoni this year. I don't yeah. know if, if uh, someone gets that leeway next year, unless he hires somebody new, uh, because next year, if it's Yates and the defense is still bad, he doesn't have that excuse anymore. It's like, Hey man, like, you chose to keep this guy on staff and this is why we're here. And I am so worried about next year because you, you <laughs> yeah. take a look at this recruiting class, y'all like it is not, it is not good. Um, and <laughs> particularly for the players that we have on the field, will Colin schooler continue to progress? I hope so. Cause he is incredible. Um, will Tony fields get a little bit better? I would assume so. He's kind of an undersized, undersized linebacker, but, um, he plays, fairly well pj johnson is gone Derek bowles is gone next year so if you're talking about the defensive line like th- that is where break glass in case of emergency right now because those guys are not sticking around at arizona and where are we like we i have not seen anything in this coaching staff that makes me confident in the fact that we are in good hands next year even if we have a lesser uh quality of player uh overall on the field and that is what makes a good coach is your ability to have you know teams that aren't as good and be able to make them play up and be the greater than the sum of their parts and that does not seem i have no confidence that this coaching staff as it is right now will be able to do that next year and they're going to have to (laughs) like there is like no doubt about it that will be what they need to do and and that makes me quite nervous I mean, the offense has been creeping up as the season has gone on, as Tate's ankle's gotten a little better, and I think he's gotten a little better handle on Mazzoni's offense. I mean, they're uh, they're at 49, which is really the, the highest they've been um, since we've been all in on in-season data all season. Um, I have a, I mean, Mazzoni's got a long track record of, at the very least, putting a decent to sometimes very, very, very good offense out there. Um, I'm... I, I mean, I feel like the Mazzoni stuff, I just, uh, Richard left the cupboard far more bare than I think people realize. Um, and getting through this season and having JJ Taylor turn out to be as good as he has been behind a truly makeshift and thin offensive line with Khalil Tate hobbled. Yeah. I, yeah. And shout, I mean, out, like, shout out to the, is it Joe Gilbert? Like the, the offensive yeah. line coach, get that man a raise, you know? <laughs> I know. I mean, like, and there are parts, I mean, like, and that's where I say like, I don't, th- I mean, I think the degree of difficulty that on offense, I think people underestimate how hard it was. And it's not to say that I think that if Tate was healthy all season, that I think this would be a great offense. I just don't think that I think for this off, this offense with this set of players to be great, you almost have to run Rich Rodsky. but Richard's gone. I'm very happy about that. I will, will happily move on from those days, but I don't think that I, I do think that 
they're going to have to recruit to more to Mazzoni's scheme uh, and what he's got. And a lot of this is, I mean, Arizona simply has to get better wide receivers. I mean, I don't, I don't think any of Arizona's wide receivers intimidate anyone. Um, our guys regularly struggle to get open uh, with their route running. Uh, it's just not, it's not pretty. Um, and there are, and some of it is, man, Tate still misses some throws. <laughs> so Tate's got to get better uh, as a passer um, for him, for the, him to work in this offense. I mean, this, like we talked about, I mean, in a Mazzoni offense, the quarterback's not going to run 20, 30 times. He's, he's going to run 10 um, at the most. And so Tate's got to really develop as a passer um, along this year. But I mean, all you, all of what you talked about in the defense is true. Um, and I, I have not seen, there are some players I'm excited about in this recruiting class, but overall the recruiting class has not reflected some of what my hopes were for this. Some of these guys reputations as recruiters coming into this year. And I, I do think Arizona, if you're not going to recruit great players, you, like you said, you have to be able to schematically turn the, and develop them into good players or great players. And, um, Arizona is going to have to, to do that. And I just, I don't think Gates is going to get you there. And if you're Kevin, someone like hitching your, you have no reason to hitch your cart to Yates for another year, like none like fire. I mean, everybody's going to wait till after the signing deadline to fire coaches, fire him after the signing deadline, hire a new D coordinator. Um, you know, like Fresno state's got another good defense out there. That's such a Jeff chicken to- crap thing to do though. I hated how we did that last year. It's the <laughs> no, freaking but- worst. It's, but it's, I mean, it's standard. Everyone does it. Um, you know, so if you think Yates has got a couple guys coming in that are, you know, he's the lead recruiter on, I mean, it's a totally messed up thing to do to wait and fire until after those guys are signed. But I mean, everyone does it. So, um, you know, do it, <laughs> but I mean, like, there's just no, I don't know. Like there's no, there's no percentage in keeping Yates on at all. Um, I don't, I, I like Arizona is going to have to, make significant strides on defense and they're going to have to go out and spend on scheme. And I really think they, I mean, this is a point where if Arizona wants to claim that they're sort of serious about football, this is your, I mean, it's not necessarily like Kevin, someone's staff is not like really, really highly paid across the board. Like Kevin, someone should go in and say like, look, like in order to really turn this around, I need to go spend some cash and get a high end defensive coordinator, maybe not high end, but like, you know, spend some money and go get somebody because really, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought the decision to keep Yates was questionable. I wasn't all that excited about the Mazzoni hire, but like, yeah, whatever. But the Yates one really made no sense to me keeping him on, given what he had done in two years at Arizona. So his third year wasn't good. Let's move on. Two more things in regards to the receiving uh, and the receivers that we have. I thought I think that Sean Poindexter has been fairly good. Uh, the last like three or four games now that Tate has been able to actually throw the ball and and hit a receiver. So I think it does show how buried some of these wide receivers can be when you don't have a quarterback that's hitting. And now that to his credit, Tate has been able to hit a decent amount of these throws and I know he's missed some and I know he misses. I mean, just the fact that that one two catches, man, I know I, but Hey, like (laughs) guys got 10 touches. Bad Washington state defense. John Poindexter were like, he had a good game. Like, what has he had over this period? Like, has he even had 20 catches? He's had 36 receptions, <laughs> 660 yards, 10 touchdowns season? with Khalil Tate. Like, <laughs> right. But I mean, like, over the, like, over the last couple of games, Sean Poindexter has shown that he could be a good wide receiver. Like, Sean Poindexter is not going to make honorable mention Pac 12. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it, I'm just saying that 
nobody was was hitting like their passes with him for the first four games. So oh, I, I, I'd like to take a look and see what his stats were in the last four or five games because they're, they're decent. I also think that Shen Brown, if you give him the ball in space, is fine. I'm not saying he's an all star. I don't think he'll be any and even he won't even sniff honorable mention. He's, he at least had eight catches. I mean, in the last game. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like. When it comes down to it, I mean, Poindexter for everything that I mean, the expect it's the tough thing for Poindexter is that Arizona fans have every year since he got here have heaped on the expectation that he was going to be a breakout player and going to be able to be a number one wide receiver. And so, if you if that's what you're judging him against, he's clearly not that, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay. You're to not be that, um, but. He's, I mean, he's like a number three wide receiver, I would say. And I, I don't know the, like, I looked at, you look across this roster on at wide receiver. I mean, none of these guys, like, how many of these guys start in another Pac 12 team? Yeah. I don't even, I mean, like, Cal even probably has, but I mean, Cal has and, totally uh, dysfunctional <laughs> offense, but Sonny Dykes recruited a bunch of guys that were pretty highly regarded. Yeah, but they all left the program. I'm going to push back on that. I, know. I think I mean, Poindexter like, Point like, and Brown start on, on Cal. I think they start. <laughs> Which is like the worst offense. I know. <laughs> well, hey, you brought him up, man. I'm just. <laughs> no, I know what I mean. Like, if you're going to take, like, it would, would Shun, I mean, would they start at UCLA? No. No. I mean, would they start not at Arizona State, not in a million years? Nope. nope. Um, me? I mean, Oregon? Uh, no. I mean, Dylan Mitchell's great. I would, you know, I would take the other schooler. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, that's maybe not even like, Oregon State. Like Oregon State has like Isaiah Hodgins is good. <laughs> like that's he's a good wide Oregon, receiver. Oregon State has a legitimately fun offense. If you haven't watched the Beavers at all this season, like I mean, they're they're they have a fun offense that tries hard, and they have a unbelievably craptastic offensive line that gives us a million sacks. And yet Jeremiah Jefferson is a fr- true freshman monster. <laughs> and he got Jake Luton slinging it, slinging it out there. Like he's yeah, Brett like, Favre. Like <laughs> it's pretty fun. Riverboat gambler, Jake Luton, who is like constantly concussed and missing a game. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, one more question about the wide receivers. So we had, it was either Bryce Wolma or Jamie Nunley sighting last, uh, last game. And it was like a 45 yard pass. I yeah. am still perplexed and I still want, I, I want to get Rick back on this program because Rick was talking about, Hey, well, you know, if they're not blocking that they don't need to be on the field, these tight ends, these tight ends are so much bigger than these college linebackers. It drives me freaking crazy that we don't use them more. They've had six catches, six this entire season. Whereas if you look back last year in a rich Rodriguez offense of all freaking people, like they both yeah. were at, like our top three wide receivers. I mean, it was, an, it's insane how underused they were and i'd be pissed if i were their parents or if i were them because they clearly showed that they could be a receiving threat and they can be um somebody that the other team has a game plan around and we have not done that at all this year it drives me up the wall but do you agree do you disagree what do you think about not integrating the tight ends more i mean i agree somewhat i mean the, the one thing that i would love to get on arizona is um to sit down and watch them all 22 on arizona's wide receivers you know because like the question I've long had about Arizona's talent here is like, is it that the quarterbacks are not getting their th- through their progressions? I mean, you could think of this as like the new Solomon problem more like Brandon Dawkins, you know, like are they not getting there through their progressions and like guys are open and they're just not seeing them. Um, and sometimes that, the, that is the case, but I think guys are just, I think a lot of these guys just don't get open. 
and someone including our tight ends, you know, like they're not always, they may not have a lot of catches, but a lot of the times they're out there running routes. Hey man, they were open um, last year. Like, right. Like, I mean, yeah, but like Khalil Tate was running rampant. The defense is like, Oh man, like we need to put in a spy and drop into zone so that we are constantly keeping an eye on this dude. That's fair. Yeah. That's a fair point. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, like that the 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 part Arizona's offense sort of being where they are uh kind of amazes kind of amazes me given how hurt Khalil Tate was this year um and the switch to a new scheme, but the the talent just hasn't been there and like that's the part where if I was going to say like I'm a little worried about this in this recruiting class, is I was really hoping that they would go out and land a, a much bigger time wide receiver than I have seen. Um, to play on this offense or defensive linemen or offensive linemen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like it I mean, is, it is not good. I, I think it's hard because there is so little depth throughout. Um, and you could argue that a lot of these guys have not had real, like a lot of these, a lot of these guys in Arizona's coaching staff have been coaching somewhere else before. So they do have some relationships around, but they may not have relationships with guys that maybe want to come to Arizona anymore. Um, but I, I I'm, I'm a little disappointed there. Um, and I'm hoping that they close strong, uh, you know, and we can about like, we will definitely like most players will sign on the December signing period. Like don't kid yourself. The December signing period absolutely matters. <laughs> so, um, don't convince yourself that you're going to be able to sign like three or four, four stars in February. Like you're going to, we need to lock them up and get them signed in December. Um, so I don't know. I like this, 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 this team needs desperately needs some more talent at wide receiver. And I, I guess I'm a little disappointed too. I mean, some of the guys that they recruited in last year that were taller, bigger guys, um, that had some talent, you know, they were true freshmen this year. We haven't hardly seen them. I mean, even, I mean, they could play up to four games. I find uh, that. Uh, yeah. I find that alarming, uh, both from a coaching standpoint and from a, a talent standpoint. I mean, like, you take a look more on the offense. I know in the defense, they've been able to throw in some freshmen to kind of see how they're doing. Yeah. But we have not done that at all on the offensive side. And it is like, yeah, we did it with the running back in his hometown of Houston, but I can't think of right. three or four more instances where we've actually brought out some of our new guys and, and seen what they can do. Uh, that is, that is worrisome. Uh, particularly when you know that the talent at the wide receiving position isn't as, as deep as you mentioned. Um, let's let's move to Arizona state here and and touch on it just a bit. You know, Ronnie and Adam will uh, take the deep dive into them, but this is an interesting, like, (sighs) this is an interesting team. Like (laughs) very interesting team. They, they have a good defensive coordinator. They're well here, go, go through it. So, so you have the beta rank numbers, which is like for people that are new, this is the advanced college football statistical model that goes through and uh, basically does a bunch of math wizard wizard things (laughs) and like, uh, identifies like what, what these teams are. And you always do a better job of describing it. Um, but where is, where does ASU sit at overall and then offense and defense related, uh, and you know, relative to where, where Arizona is. So Arizona state comes in at number 42. Um, overall, uh, they're at number 26 on offense, um, which they fell back a little bit. Um, they were at number 15 last week, but they had a horrendous offensive outing against Oregon. Um, they are at number 74 on defense, which is kind of a word around where they've been holding, which isn't very good. And then, uh, 51 on special teams, Arizona comes in at number 76, 
Uh, they're number 49 on offense, which, uh, as I alluded to a little earlier, is one of the higher spots they've been at this year. Um, they're at 88 on defense, um, which is trending downward, of course, after a boat race by Washington State. Um, and they're at number 85 on special teams. Like they have, um, there have been some bright spots. I think Dylan Clump has been an improvement, but um, not so great overall. Can wait? Can we just stop real fast on the special teams because we have talked about this a little bit on these podcasts? But it is inexcusable for us to have a full time special teams coach and watch the debacle that happened at Washington State and has happened in other games. Like outside of our punter, like it is embarrassing to see what has happened on special teams. Like it is part of the reason we got housed in this last game. It's the fact that nobody could catch a freaking pass or uh, catch a, a freaking punt. We had fumbles. Um, the special teams just looks off oftentimes. I guess the one thing in their credit is I don't know if we've given up any big plays um, from punt returners on the other team, but Oh my gosh, yeah. it was, it's really bad, man. And, and our kickers like are terrible too. <laughs> so like, yeah. I'm surprised we're at 85. Like I, I would assume that we were even lower, like in the nineties or something. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's with the change in the kickoff rule. It is inexcusably stupid. There's no other way to put it to end up with the football short of the 25. It just is. I mean, you, you can fair, you don't, it doesn't even have to go into the end zone. You can signal a fair catch on the one and get the ball to the 25. Um, and Arizona consistently fails to get the ball to the 25. Uh. Um, and just that's that's coaching. I mean, there's just no there's no other way to put it. That's just that is plain country stupid. Like you cannot like that's the, you cannot continue to fail to make it to the 25 yard line and and not just realize, all right, maybe we're not good at this. Let's just fair catch it every time. And maybe you don't want to be the one to admit that, you know, like maybe that feels like surrender to you. But listen, like, you know, like. At the end of the day, it's about winning football games, not not pretending to have like the biggest truck in the lot, right? Oh like, gosh. come on, and like, it's just silly. And at the beginning of the year, Rob, we had talked about the new coaching staff that was coming in, and we were looking at the uh, the special teams coach and going like, I don't know, like he was a former linebacking coach that's coached for like two years, but he seems pretty enthusiastic. So I guess we'll see. And we have seen. <laughs> Go freaking hire somebody that has coached special teams before. Jeez. No, and this is this is part of the problem, I think, in some ways too, is that like you have you have special teams coaches that that have not they're not specialists. And I'm not to, it's not to say that like the special teams coach should be, you know, a former kicker or a former punter or something like that, but like your specialists often get very little coaching. Like the special teams coach is supposed to be coaching like all of the other players. Um, I would argue actually that maybe the special teams coach should have a little more experience coaching actual specialists. Cause those guys are way harder. <laughs> it's like, you know, like they're almost a, a good specialist is not as valuable as a quarterback, but it's definitely more valuable than like your second string linebacker. Yeah. Um, and I think, or even maybe your first string linebacker, depending on your defense. And I think that the, I do think that Arizona's, we, I mean, I, and the guy hasn't, he's not like a lead recruiter on like a lot. He's just, a, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of energy. Um, this is Jeremy Springer. We're talking about. So like was a, I at 26. Like, and I wouldn't right, freaking I mean, run I around coaching <laughs> like special yeah. teams. I mean, I yelled about a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, much of it nonsensical. And I, I do think that when we, we look at what we've got here, like I, I just, I don't know if it's quite working. I actually, the model that I actually really like 
and it, I don't know that, you know, it might make sense to have, and so and I say this, like Kevin Sumlin is a great teacher for running routes. Um, he has a lot of experience there. He has coached some guys that went on, uh, at Wyoming to break NCAA receiving, you know, records, um, at the time when, uh, Joe Teller's offense, like he can coach routes and, and, and blocking and all that. He, and someone currently coaches the tight end, but I actually like the model. It's more like, um, where the head coach handles special teams. Like, and it, it sort of makes it a little bit of a point of emphasis. It makes some of the players often play harder on special teams. I feel like because that they want to be noticed by the head coach. And I, I think it, it's something that the head coach can sort of sort of delve into without having to spend like all, I mean, wrap himself all up into it. Um, and maybe Arizona goes out and hires a, a tight end coach or something like that. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you looked at it this year that you would say that it was working very well. Maybe you say, I mean, if you want to give the guy a break, you say, if, you know, if Rodriguez hasn't recruited very well, like special teams clearly aren't going to be good at, you know, the blocking and tackling portion of special teams, I guess. But I don't know. Some of it's, like I said, like just not, not catch the football, make your kicks, man. Like I don't (laughs) just do that. Not catching the football, not doing a fair catch, which Arizona at this point should basically always do because our return game is garbage. (laughs) I don't understand it. Like just, yeah, no turnover, no turnovers and take the ball to 25. That's a win. Like (laughs) just, just doing that Arizona would probably be like 20 points higher. All right. We drove the truck off the cliff again. And, uh, you know, just like this team, that's what happens when you play Washington state. Um, let's talk about Arizona state because this is a winnable game. Like you mentioned, ASU has better talent and I think it's clearly better talent. You look at Manny Wilkins, he's a strong quarterback. You have Eno Benjamin back there, um, who is better, if not as good as JJ Taylor. You have Nikhil Harry and Frank Darby uh out there and Kyle Williams and some really good wide receivers. With that said, you shift over to defense and you know it's kind of like the underpants and gnomes. Like <laughs> there's a lot of question marks there. And the offensive line for Arizona State isn't great. So can you kind of walk through the strengths and weaknesses here of Arizona State and how we match up? Uh, let's start yeah. on the offensive side because I think you and I both like Manny Wilkins a lot, and he has an opportunity to. Nobody's going to pick up our, our secondary like Gardner Minshew did, but Manny Wilkins is quite good. So, what do they got in that quarterback? Uh, so, Manny Wilkins is having a phenomenal year, a very underrated year. The offensive line's not that good. <laughs> he yeah. is often under pressure. Um, and, and if you watch any of that Oregon game, uh, Oregon's defense has not been good all season. Um, and they were able to really gobble up, you know, Benjamin, um, in that game and Benjamin's had a pretty good year, uh, running football, but this offense is very different than, uh, what we saw under Todd Graham. And I think people should understand that. So this is a bit more of a pro style. Uh, I mean, when I say pro style, like they tend to run first, even though they're not like a run first spread. Um, so they do spread the ball out. They often have three wide receivers on the field, which is good. Cause they have, as you mentioned, they have a very talented wide receiver core. Um, but they are a bit of a run first offense. And then they tend to take, make big, take big shots with Manny Wilkins and those wide receivers, um, often off play action. And this, this offense tends to eat up some clock. Like, so this isn't a quick scoring offense, um, at all. So they, but they come in, they're an interesting team. So they are very balanced. They are 28 in effective rush. And number 24 in effective passing. So um, they don't run, they, they run, the, they do choose to run the ball more than they pass it, but they tend to pick up a lot of yards when they do throw the ball. 
Wilkins is really efficient. He does not, he has not thrown a lot of interceptions this year. Um, he's got a good completion rate. Yeah. Four and, total and 63% completion rates thrown 18 touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. That's a good year. Yeah. That's a, that's a good year. And it's, uh, it's funny cause I think a lot of people are sort of down on Manny Wilkins and I think it's unfortunate because he, he has had for this offense, um, and has stood in and taken quite a few shots, uh, cause this line's not great at pass blocking. That's, um, that's true. I do think the one knock on Wilkins is he goes through these black hole spurts where he's not connecting, he's not moving oh, yeah. the offense. And it reminds me a bit of KJ Costello last year, but not as dire where, yeah. KJ Costello could move the ball and can sling it around, but there were like quarters, not, not just, not just drives quarters where he just could not do anything at all. And that kind of happened with ASU against Oregon in the second half. And it's happened. Um, it happened against Stanford. Against Stanford. Yeah. So yeah. there are these, these moments where you just go, uh, yeah, th- there it is. It, it's coming. It's not again. It's not as pronounced as it has been in the past, but I do think that is a knock on him. It's why there's the criticism when you when you think of Manny Wilkins. But uh, but continue. I wanted to at least throw there, there's no, some no. more there's some more spears. No, no, it's way. true. Uh, and I think that some of the some of that some of that's on Wilkins, and I think some of it's on the play calling, and I think some of it's on the wide receivers because you watch that Oregon game and that Stanford game, the wide receivers at times who are supremely talented sometimes look uninterested and they dropped a lot of <laughs> balls like they looked way yeah. too cool for school in that oregon game because oregon does not have a great secondary and they punched those arizona state wide receivers in the mouth and it arizona state it's not a comeback that they run and it's almost like something like out of a four verts where the receiver should basically like almost run a vertical and just turn around and, and you know have position to catch the ball um you know about 10 12 yards down the field on the outside and they kept going back to that well. And I think Miami Wilkins probably had five or six incompletions just on that same play that they were looking for. And they, they looked for almost nothing over the middle uh, against that ASU defense or against that Oregon defense, which I found odd because a lot of teams, including Arizona, have had some, had some success over the middle against that uh, Oregon defense. It was just a, it was a bizarre game. And, and like you said, like, I mean, like that Stanford game where they really went out and just kind of crapped the bed there but they're um if you looked at their uh arizona's defense though like this is going to be a tough matchup like this is this currently still even after that bad game that they had this is the second best offense in the pac-12 right now um according to beta rank and arizona's defense at number 88 they are um they're a bit better against the run um number 77 um they're number 88 overall and uh they're 92 against the pass uh, and I, I mean, I would have said like going to last week, I, I said, I didn't like Oregon's defense against, you know, Benjamin being able to run the ball because lots of teams have been able to run the ball on Oregon. And I didn't like, I didn't like Arizona, you know, Oregon secondary against Arizona state's wide receivers, but they had a great game. I would also say like, I, those things are mostly true for this Arizona defense. Like I don't necessarily like the matchup for them. Um, in a lot of cases, like I, there's nobody on this defense that you think can cover Nikhil Harry. And at least with like Graham, who Oregon put on him, like Graham was a four-star recruit um, who hasn't necessarily always lived up to it. But. Yeah, let's talk. So Nikhil Harry, 6'4", 213. I mean, there was a video of him catching balls in Oregon with his shirt off, and you just go like, that guy should be at the NFL yesterday. I mean, he is yeah. he is a prototypical NFL wide receiver. With that said, he, I mean, he has a thousand yards, so I don't want to downplay that, uh, and nine touchdowns, but 
I would, if you would have asked me, okay, Bryant, going into the territorial cup, what are Nikhil Harry's stats this year? I would have said at least 1200 yards, at least 12 touchdowns. So he's really good and he is going to torch, uh, whoever is uh, the unfortunate sacrificial lamb that needs to cover him. But he, he doesn't, he's not as he explosive. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like Lamar Odom. If you're ever like a basketball fan where like Lamar Odom looked like a machine on the court and there were just times where he just didn't produce for 20 minutes in a game. You go like, what happened to Lamar Odom? It's kind of the same with, with him. He'll, he'll disappear. And he just isn't as dynamic as you would assume somebody that big would be. Um, but he's still incredibly frightening. And the fact that you have somebody like Frank Darby that's next to him and a couple other players out there, um, the wide receiving. Anyway, th- this is going to put some stress on our secondary. It'll be interesting to see what we do and how we scheme around that. Do we try to just kind of put an extra safety out there and just say, hey, stick to the left side. Don't let him like bump him. Don't let him do anything. <laughs> he can't. I guess he can't really. Yeah. I guess the safety can't bump him because he's too far away. But like do whatever you can can and make sure he doesn't get it and make Darby and a couple of these other wide receivers beat us. But um, it is going to be difficult. And the other thing too, is, you know, Benjamin, so he has 1400 yards. He's averaging 5.6 yards a carry and 12 touchdowns. He is, he is good. And then you also have Manny Wilkins who has seven touchdowns on the ground. Like, yeah. Wilkins isn't a dual threat quarterback. He is much more comfortable in the pocket, but he can move a bit. He almost has 400 yards on, on the, um, on the year. <sighs> With all that said, like their offensive line sucks and we just named some really good players and they, and I know they have a good offense because I've seen this offense, but it's not a juggernaut. It is a pretty pretty good offense in the PAC 12. No, and Oregon got pressure with mostly rushing four guys. Like they they did send some pressure, but Oregon did not have to blitz to get to Wilkins um, and get in his face. And they also, they didn't have to, they did not have to sit with nine in the box to, um, slow down, you know, Benjamin, um, what I would, I, I, I think that if you're Arizona there, you're, you are going, Arizona is going, is not going to get away with, you know, four getting pressure. They're probably going to have to find a way to send somebody. Um, and it is, Arizona is going to have to figure out how to slow down Benjamin enough to make Arizona state have to throw the ball to, to get first downs. And then you just kind of hope that the, you know, that things are just sort of off. Uh, I mean, cause if they're on, I mean, if they are on like they were against Utah, <laughs> um, or parts of that Colorado game before, you know, Herm Edwards decided just to run the football all the time, <laughs> man, when they are on throwing the football, good night. So, um, yeah, you just think it's not impossible, um, to be, you know, to, and, and they can definitely come out and have an up and they've had, a, they've had more, far more good games than bad, but they've had a couple of really bad games that, yeah. uh, that cost them. Yeah. I think there's a definite op- opportunity to stop them are what we were talking about when we were talking about Washington state and Arizona's defense and it being a bad matchup. One of the things was that our run defense is looking better and it yeah. looks like it's gotten its act together in the last couple games. I know we just said <laughs> thrown out the fact that like, yeah, Oregon's play calling wasn't good, but between that and stopping uh, Trayvon McMillan at Colorado, like I do think that there's a chance where, you know, Benjamin isn't going to get 150 yards on this, defense if he does i think the game's over but 
Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I think if they hold him to 100, which is certainly the case, then it does put some pressure on Manny Wilkins to make those passes and those wide receivers to actually make the plays. And then that, that keeps us in the game. So th- I think that's the biggest key is will Eno Benjamin really force Arizona to to stay on the run? Um, and I don't I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> that's why they play the games. Um, but yeah. l- let's move to the defense here in in the sense of ASU's ability to stop Arizona my biggest fear is that Khalil Tate goes all USC Khalil Tate where he feels like he has to win this game because he doesn't like he uh we have a good running back ASU isn't great at stopping the run he just has to make his intermediate passes and Arizona will move the ball down the field and we are matched up well enough with them um, on the defensive side where I think that that'll put us in here but if he goes all like cowboy on us like he has in the past trying to hit these stupid long throws um, I think we're in real trouble but um, if he if he kind of stays within himself Rob how is the matchup against ASU's defense it's pretty good. Um, so Arizona comes at number 49. Um, they're another balanced offense. So Arizona ranks grades out at number 46 in effective rush and number 49 in effective pass. Um, the opportunity against ASU is, uh, so they come in at 74. They are number 55 against the rush, uh, and 93 against the pass. So ASU, um, as their secondary is not good. They have struggled to get to the quarterback. Um, they're a little better, um, I think, with that Aztec safety that Danny Gonzalez brought up from San Diego State um, coming down and playing in the box. Um, I think they're a little better at snuffing out the run um, as a result. Um, but it's, I think that may be a little more schematic than talent. So if you're going to make some hay like against this ASU defense, like you, you should be able to make it in the air. Um, and Arizona's become a little bit more of a, a you know, a passing oriented offense, um, with Noah Mazzoni. And, uh, I think Khalil Tate has progressed in this offense and I, I think he does make some better reads. Um, so I, as long, I mean, as long as they don't have to totally rely on Tate and Taylor can, um, show up and run the ball pretty effectively. Cause even f- like 55 against the run ain't great. Um, you know, they should, they should be able to put up some points against this Arizona state uh, defense. And if it's not, I mean, Arizona state to give you the, the, the big reveal, I guess you could say of this, I mean, Arizona state comes in at a, a 74% win probability. Uh, Arizona state does. And that's roughly um, grades out at almost eight points, um, 7.8 points. Uh, Arizona state's the favorite in the game. So um, that's not, that's not an impossible ask to, to have uh, to beat Arizona State when they're that much, only that much of a favorite in the game. I mean, one turnover, you know, you'd be plus one on turnovers and uh, win that game. Well, good thing that the the line's a point and a half. <laughs> so a I know who I'm taking. Yeah, Arizona State's favorite <laughs> by a point and a half. <laughs> wow, that seems like a bit of an overreaction. Um Wow, I mean, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised at that. That's crazy. Yeah, good, good times. All right, but we've been talking a lot about Arizona. Let's get into our sleazy bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it, baby? Just bust a move. Okay. All right, is the sleazy bet segment. The best segment in the world covering all of the Pac-12 games this coming week. And there is 
many games to talk about. We also talk about what uh, happened in the previous week as we go through. We're going to go um, from the earliest game to the latest game, and then we will talk about how each team did in the previous week. Let's start Friday, 1 o'clock p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Oregon is a 16.5-point favorite at Oregon State. This line has moved four points already. It opened at 12.5. It has now moved to 16.5 points. <laughs> <laughs> like, Look, Oregon State sucks, but their offense is quite fun. Let's talk about Oregon, though. This Oregon game against ASU. Uh, Oregon 31, ASU 29. And I watched this. Rob, you watched the first half of this game, and I watched the second half of this game, and you clearly got the better <laughs> the, the longer straw in that draw because holy goodness, that second half was terrible. But tell me what happened in the first half and why Oregon came out to a pretty strong lead and looked really good going into halftime. So I think that, I mean, the real story of this game is I thought Oregon's offense was going to be able to put up some points on Arizona state. And they mostly did, did it in the first half. Um, but Oregon's off or Oregon's defense, which has had an up and down season, just had probably their best game of the season. Um, they showed up, they were able to shut, you know, Benjamin down really after the first drive. Um, Arizona state's wide receivers who are quite talented, had a really, I mean, just set of terrible games against these Oregon, the Oregon secondary. Um, and it was, it looked a lot like the Stanford game for, uh, for, uh, Arizona state, just a lot of, a lot of confusion and misplays and, um, you know, Manny Wilkins, you know, without the greatest, the world's greatest completion percentage. And, um, yeah, just a, a tough game for the Sun Devils out there. And a, a really, you know, a, a, for an Oregon defense that hasn't been great all season, um, probably their best outing, um, which is, I guess, sort of a good sign because it's still a youngish defense. I was really impressed. Well, take that back. Everything's relative here. I was fairly impressed with the secondary of, uh, of Oregon, particularly the, uh, the cornerbacks, the, I'm yeah. trying to remember who was on, uh, I think it was Thomas Graham was on, um, uh, Nikhil Harry and did yeah. pretty well, like broke up a decent amount of passes. He was staying on him. He was draped on him. This was in the second half of the game. Uh, the second half yeah. was terrible. Uh, ASU ended up scoring 16 points. Oregon scored three. And I really do blame this on play calling. There were many, many times where you could see that you were able to run this ball against ASU. And for whatever reason, Wilcox kept messed, like mixing up the plays and just, or not Wilcox. Really, yeah, it's been, oh man, it's been a long day. Um, it was just a weird mishmash of play calling, and I thought it really hurt the offense. It put them out of rhythm. There were uh, basically Oregon just needed to run out the clock. They were up uh, fairly handily at halftime and continued to make mistakes and three and outs and three and outs and three and outs. You just go like, how do you not move the ball? It's not like this ASU defense is playing out of its mind right now. It's just weird play calling. And that, I think that just kind of led to uh, the result, which you had in the second half, which was 16 to three ASU and ASU had a chance to tie this game up uh, at the very end. So they score a touchdown and they go for two and uh, it, it was interesting. Herm Edwards is like very, a very trusting person, which in this, in this <laughs> conference is a really terrible trait to have when it comes to Larry Scott and the decision-making process uh, from, yeah. from our, um, <laughs> from our TV contracts all the way down to uh, reviews. So at the end of the game, he goes for two Wilkins hits. I forget what wide receiver was, but he catches it in the back end zone. He was out and it looked like right. he was out. His toe was, it was barely on the line, but it was on the line. But I was surprised that Edwards didn't like push for a challenge or anything. He kind of just, ex he accepts the, he did this in the San Diego state game too. <laughs> when it was yeah. that, when the targeting call, he's like, well, 
them's the rules. I guess we lost. Right. And he what did are you the same. Do? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Uh, he did the same thing here, which actually is a breath of fresh air when it came to like watching Rich Rodriguez like scream his head off, or like we were talking about Mike McIntyre having an ulcer on the other side of the uh, the coin there. But anyway, I I thought it was interesting that um, that Oregon does not have an offensive identity. At least it doesn't look like it after this game too. And, and watching some of the other games, I, I happen to be a lot more of a fan as we were going through the season of Oregon and Rob, I have slowly swung your way in the, in the sense of like, this isn't really that good of a team. And the announcers were talking about like, Oh, they got all these players coming back and a good recruiting class. This is a national title contender. I'm like, Hey, let's pump the brakes, man. Let's pump. The whoa, brakes. Yeah, whoa. Chill, That's bananas talk. <laughs> Holy moly. Um, Somebody put out, I mean, somebody had a, a critique of Oregon that, you know, uh, that it's clear. And what really let Arizona State back in the game partly was Oregon turnovers late. Um, but Justin Herbert had regressed. Um, and I think the, the comparison people make is last year. And this is something we talked about <laughs> early on that Herbert ain't played nobody. That, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, last year that it was a little bit of fool's goal that I wanted Herbert to prove it to me this year. Um, against good defenses that he could do it because last year he, he is his stats that everyone fell in love with were against some of the very worst defenses in the country. Um, and I think this year, like there, he makes some throws sometimes. I mean, some of it's on the plate calling. Um, some of it's that Sewell is out there, a uh, freshman left tackle who has been, who was phenomenal. Um, and you know, it's been a little harder for them to run the football, but some, I mean, Herbert, the, that intercept, one of his interceptions in the Arizona game was just baffling. I mean, it was like the dude couldn't read zone because um, he threw it right to Arizona's player. Um, he's, I think this, I think this Oregon team, they're interesting, and this staff is interesting. I don't, we don't dive a lot into recruiting. Oregon's number four in recruiting right now. I mean, they're crushing yeah, they're football killing recruiting. It, yeah. um, so this staff is going to you know, we're bringing an immense amount of talent in. So like, you're not going to grade this staff out and it's finality until like maybe two years from now when those guys come in and, you know, are playing. But as it looks now, like no way, like Oregon maybe takes another step forward next year. Um, you know, and it's sort of like hanging around a little later in the PAC 12 race. But, um, I, I'm, I came away like very disappointed in this Oregon team that I was, I would, I talked myself into being a little higher on at the beginning of the year, but yeah, the one thing to your point too, is that, and Hifliday had brought this up on the podcast when we were talking with him, it's the transition and, and actually so did Dan Rubenstein is the transition between the smaller, more agile offensive lineman of yeah. Jim Kelly. Uh, who's the guy that got fired? Have you raced him from my memory? Uh, oh, Helfer. Yeah. Helfer uh, era to the bigger, more like just the beefier, stronger offensive lineman. And that process is happening. So yeah. like, I, I guess I can see a scenario where, yeah, that is a problem. Uh, I have to go back and watch Hithaliday's videos on, on this particular game to see what uh, the actual problem is. But what, what did they specifically do in the first half that got the ball moving? I mean, I know that the turnovers were a problem and stuff, but I mean, the fact that they were able to put up, what is it like 20, 28 or 29 points in the first half and then three, what, what were they doing better in the first half? They were running the ball well, particularly outside. Um, you know, like they were able, I mean, Arizona state had no answer, um, at all. I mean, in Arizona state was sort of clogging up the middle, 
Um, and Oregon was able to get, uh, get some yards busting outside and they were really good. Herbert had Herbert. It was good. Herbert in the first half. <laughs> um, he, uh, he had some good passes. Dylan Mitchell was dang near unstoppable. I mean, like D- Dylan Mitchell is clearly the best player on that entire offense. And he had a phenomenal first half, uh, you know, including just blowing by, um, is it, you know, one of his, the Arizona state defenders and, um, Arizona state looked very, very confused. And I do want to say that it's some of it is that Oregon, you know, kind of came out flat in the second half, but or Arizona state made some adjustments too, um, to slow down, you know, this Oregon offense and, you know, tip the cap to them. Um, because Oregon's Oregon's not an offensive juggernaut, um, this season, I'm the part that I'm a little more. And uh, if I was going to talk about disappointment on this Oregon team, it's that this defense is so bad. And this was their best game, but like I just I came in expecting a lot more from Jim Levitt. Yeah, <laughs> but with that, I thought they did a good job in the second half. I mean, oh, I in this game they did a good job, but yeah, yeah, I, there was a lot of big third downs where that defense really stepped up, put pressure on Manny Wilkins. And I was really impressed. And like the offense did them no favors. I mean, they were on the field basically that, that whole second half. And I'm going like, ASU has to win this game, right? Like Oregon is giving me nothing. And the defense time after time after time was able to step up, but I'm with you in terms of like the long term. but I I was impressed with them specifically in the second half of that game. Let's move over to uh, Oregon state. So Oregon state lost to Washington, 23 to 42. I'm going to be f- super honest. I did not watch a minute of this game. Did you watch this? <laughs> I, I, uh, I will confess to catching the highlights and rooting desperately for, um, Jonathan Smith's offense to, um, backdoor cover. And they did God bless them. Um, because there was a moment early in this, like early where it was, it was ugly in the first half and Jake Browning, um, looked unstoppable like every Jake Browning Heisman monument tweet I had tweeted out all season. I thought he was going to make me pay for it just then and there. <laughs> Cause I think there was a point where Washington was up like 28 or 31 to the three or something absurd like that. And it's like, Oh, this is going to get really ugly. Like, thanks. Vegas was right. I was wrong. Um, but Oregon state, you know, at the end came back and scored enough points to get over the line. So shouts to Jake Luton, man. I love Jake Luton. He is so <laughs> fun to watch. I, my and biggest Jefferson had a great game. Sorry. Well, no, I was just the one thing that drove me freaking nuts is that nobody, there's no like siren. Jake Luton is playing the game. Y'all alert on Twitter. Yeah. So I didn't watch a minute of basically any Oregon state game. If I wasn't gambling on it and all of a sudden I flip, I forget what game it was. I'm like, Oh, freaking Jake Luton's in. How about nobody's telling me this? Like, this is fun to watch. And uh, like, yeah. yeah, you like you mentioned Jamar Jefferson, 115 yards. Yeah. Jake Luton uh, didn't have that great of a game, 190 yards and a touchdown. So it wasn't like he was slinging the ball around as, as well as I would have liked him to, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. I cut you. I cut you off. No, Jefferson had no. I cut you off. Actually, I apologize. <laughs> but um, Jefferson averaged six point one per carry Hell yeah. against this Washington defense. Like, give the guy. Like, the guy should make. Like, I know it's tradition not to put an underclassman on the All Pac-12 team, first or second team. But like, Jamar Jefferson deserves it. Like, the guy has had just a phenomenal year behind that crap line yeah and that's um, a good freaking front seven washington yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i mean go, like going against benberg Curvin. yeah like it was a, this was exactly what i expected from this game like washington being able to put up a bunch of points because oregon state's defense is just god awful but 
Oregon State's defense is actually kind of sneaky fun, and like they put up some points. Ben Burkirvan with another uh, 10-plus tackle game. He has had only two games this entire year where he didn't <laughs> have less than more than 10 tackles. That's insane. Uh, he, is, he is a monster. So uh, let us move to – oh, okay. So the line on this game is – uh, Oregon State is a 16 and a half point favorite. I wanted to take Oregon when they were 12 and a half points. I'm going to take Oregon State. This is a rivalry game. It's at home. I didn't like a, a, I didn't like anything that I saw out of Oregon in that second half of that game. I understand that they're significantly a better team, but I like the fact that Oregon State could actually move the ball. And like you were saying, Rob, the fact that Oregon's defense isn't as strong as we had anticipated over the course of this year. And I, I clearly uh, believe that heading into this game. So I'll, I'll take the 16 and a half. What the hell? Uh, I'll take Oregon State. What about you? I got to say like that line, that earlier line would have been awesome because uh, beta rank has it at an 89% uh, win probability for Oregon and about 16.8 points. <laughs> so oh. uh, like the line has moved to where beta rank thought it thinks it should be. Unfortunately, <laughs> so, <laughs> Bummer. Um, if you jumped on the early line for Oregon, like congrats to you. This is why um, we got to record on Sundays. We, we had to push this I back know. a few days because of traveling and stuff. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, it was, I was traveling and I got like three hours of sleep because I stayed up and watched those games late. Oh, you know, I'm going to take Oregon state. Cause I just, I don't think or like Oregon had their best game of the season. Like, I don't know that they put it together again. And like, I really like this. I really like this Oregon state offense. Like the defense is just God awful. But I mean, I, I think Oregon's offense can sputter uh, at times and shoot themselves in the foot, even against any defense. And I think uh, Oregon state's offense is going to show up and play. Okay. What is more stupider, Rob? Um, me saying that I might sprinkle some money on the money line. Yeah. I think Oregon state has like, does Oregon state have any chance of winning this game? I think they do. I no? just told you that they have like, like less than an, like a little less than an 11% chance to win this game. And you're like, sprinkle some money on the money line. Why not? Like let's, let's have some paint. See what happens. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, then the second part of the question doesn't matter. I, <laughs> no, I mean, like, sprinkle some money on the money line. Wow. Do it. Oh. I mean, smoke. You got him. You've had a great year, you know, like, you, I mean, but you guys will like turn it into a parlay with like Auburn beating Alabama or something too, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. That, then I'll really know that this is like a preordained. This this is your is year? Yeah, when, you, when you walk out with like a million dollar parlay. <laughs> Um, okay. All right. So we both have Oregon state. Uh, I am going to sprinkle, uh, sprinkle a little, little bit on the money line. We'll see what happens. I love rivalry games. So, um, moving on to Friday at five 30 at Fox, Washington is a three point dog dog, uh, at Wazoo. I am excited about this game. This is so fun. I'm glad it's on Friday. I'm glad it's on Fox. I'm glad we're probably gonna have Gus Johnson on the call, which is going to be freaking awesome. Uh, this is such a fun game. I, uh, let, let's go into the Wazoo Arizona game. If you want a bigger breakdown of this game, we talked about 40 minutes, just basically burying. <laughs> we, we did the funeral for, uh, Marcel Yates on wildcat radio. So we won't talk too much, but Wazoo just beat the, like really just tore, Arizona's secondary apart. Gardner Minshew was incredibly efficient and fun to watch. He had seven touchdowns in this game through for more than 400 yards. I think it was 55 to like seven at halftime. Like it was embarrassing. And, uh, but with all that said, like Arizona's secondary isn't that good. And our, 
breakdown of this game last week was, okay, well, maybe Arizona has a chance if they have two weeks uh, to prepare, which they did. If Khalil healthy is, uh, if Khalil Tate is hundred percent healthy, which he was. And, uh, you know, if Arizona wins, it'd be like 45 to 40 or, you know, 50 to, we <laughs> no way thought that Washington state would score 69 freaking points on Arizona. And that's no. what happened. So they come in looking real good, uh, against a Washington team that we just talked about in their game against Oregon state. I'm curious what your numbers say on this, Rob. So this is, I mean, this is like the game, like the late game of the year. Like this is going to, it's going to decide the North. Um, it's against the number 12 team in beta rank, uh, Washington state against the number 20, 29 team in beta rank Washington. Um, so Washington state comes in with the number four offense in beta rank, the number 70 defense. Um, so a defense that has its spots and has its moments, but isn't great. Um, but they've been significantly better than they were last year on special teams, uh, at number 34, Washington, on the other hand, a um, little more of a balanced uh, team. So they come in at number 35 on offense, number 27 on defense, number 99 on special teams. They have been terrible special teams this season. In particular, their freshman kicker has just been bad. Yeah. Um, so this is. Uh, and hold, this let me just is, stop you. That's saying it in light of watching the debacle that has been Mike Leach's special teams over the entire I course know. of his coaching career. So this is pretty. And Kyle, like Kyle Sweet, returning punts is a, like a revelation for that Washington State team. Um, Washington State is a seventy-four percent favorite in this game, which is like I, I say this every week, like things that happen roughly 26% of the time are not unusual. So like Washington winning this game would not be an immense surprise. Um, that being said, like Washington state's about a 7.8 favorite, 7.8 point favorite um, in this game. And I, I like the kooks. Um, I think Vegas is sort of, I mean, this is, this is the third week in a row. They've had a line that's been, low i mean and they they are they, like the cougs are just monsters against the line this season, yeah they're the waiting for the brain fart game which has not come <laughs> like they they know vegas knows <laughs> like they're just like just torching the line this season um and it's not that i mean like you know that's one touchdown washington could turn washington state over once and that's erased you know and like it's basically even in this game but i like this washington state team in this game it's at home they've got the better special teams you give them any kind of field position advantage or if washington state uh ends up with uh any turnovers from washington um if they end up even plus one in this game i really like washington state uh to win it so yeah i'll, I'll take washington state uh in this game i 100 percent agree i don't trust washington's offense even though miles gaskin is oh, back yeah. i tend to be a little bit higher on washington state's defense for whatever reason than your numbers are and and consistently this year i, I don't know why i've just seen them and i like i just like what i see i think they're a little bit better than the statistics show um so add that to the fact that gardner Minshew is just going to <laughs> do some dirty, dirty stuff in this game. And I, I'm with you. I think that this is the, the team is just rolling and it's kind of like the Utah team where Utah just continues to win and, and can have put together a string of good uh, games. They had that one hiccup against, I think it was ASU. Uh, but over the course of the year, they just been able to consistently deliver the fact that it's at home. Uh, I give, give me Wazoo. This is their year. I'm excited about this. I'm going to put real money on this game. And we shall move on to Saturday. Oh, no, I, I oh, yeah. forgot to say, like, and Washington's real weakness this year on defense is they have not been great on pass rush. Um, 
And so a lot of their strength is like they're tackling and they're linebacking up the middle. And like, so you have them agreed on pass rush and some of those guys aren't going to, are going to have to be on the bench because you're going to be recovering four or five wide receivers. Yeah. Why? Um, Gardner Minshew don't care. I think he's been sacked. It was at nine times this entire year. That's <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. I mean, like Washington's like Washington is, is, I think they have a good defense. This isn't a vintage Washington defense. And um, I think this is going to be a troublesome game for them. Nice. All right. Saturday at noon on Pac-12 Network, Stanford is a six and a half point favorite on the road at UCLA. UCLA, very good knocked off SC, man. They did it. Chip Kelly in his first year uh, basically took a, the silver <laughs> the silver bullet and shot it through the heart of Clay Helton, who's a dead man walking right now. I, I think I took UCLA in this game because I didn't trust USC's offense. And um, you did take UCLA. You looked like a genius. Yeah, I, I, I didn't sprinkle money on the money line there. I, I probably should have on that one. But I still don't know what this UCLA team is, but I know it's better and has continuously gotten better over the course of the year. How good is that? How high is that bar, though? Like it was so low, <laughs> right? So, so where does Vader rank have these guys at? So it's got Stanford. Stanford's been like sneaking up like late in this. Like they had a real bad middle of the season getting waxed by Notre Dame and Utah. Um, Stanford is uh, number 25 now in the model. Um, their offenses, which had been excellent, excellent, and then came back down to earth a little bit, is at 31. Their defense has been sneaky improving as yeah. the season has gone on. They're coming in at 46 now, so they've been playing better down the stretch. Their special teams is just phenomenal. Number nine. Um, so this Stanford team often benefits from good field position and putting the opponent in bad field position. UCLA, um, they're a fun offense. They're number 55, uh, I would say. And Dang. state. Remember yeah. when they were like a hundred? <laughs> we're like, is Chip Kelly, <laughs> we're, we're throwing hot takes on Chip Kelly. Kelly. how to play. Yeah. And then like Joshua Kelly just um, like erupted on. Oh God. He had a monster game against USC. Um, but their defense still isn't very good. Like, I, I think that's a big takeaway that, um, from that USC uh, UCLA game is that the um, the defense is still really bad. That USC offense is hot garbage. Um, you know that that offense is ranked number seventy nine in the country. So don't I wouldn't get too excited that JT Daniels looked awful. <laughs> um, but a big thing in this game is there's a lot of hidden yardage because UCLA comes in ranked at number one hundred three on special teams. Um, I really like Stanford in this game. The model likes them at 89% and roughly 16 and a half points in this game. Oh my gosh. Uh, So give me Stanford. I don't, I think that maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction to that beating of USC and maybe USC being a little overrated in Vegas still, but um, I I like Stanford to, to, roll out and uh, beat them pretty good in this game. And Stanford on a bye, basically. Yeah. I mean, they had a bye. I mean, sure. They had to prep for Cal, you know, but like, but they're healthy. Yeah, they need, they're yeah. I mean, another week to get healthy and uh, come out and uh, you know, I mean, it's just this. This feels like a, this feels like a good game for Stanford to come in and just hose Chip Kelly <laughs> yet again, <laughs> like they used to do. Just remind him, like, hey, we we, st- we still got your number, bud. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I w- was going to take UCLA. Until I brought up the stat sheet and remember that Wilton Spade is their quarterback. <laughs> and then, then, 
the, the, the one thing that was uh, Joshua Kelly, 40 carries for 289 yards and two touchdowns against USC. How in God's name is USC giving up 289 yards to anyone? Like not just teams, a, per, a single person. No, no, not just, not just, I mean, Kelly has had some good games against some bad defenses and against some relatively goodish defenses. And, and UCLA has been a team that has put up far more yards than points, but I mean, USC gave up all those yards to a guy that was at UC Davis <laughs> and, an, and an offensive line where Boss Tagaloa is starting center. He was a defensive lineman last year. Oh <laughs> like, just USC, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> how did we get here? It's so stupid. Okay, all right, give me, uh, give me Stanford. And 16 points, man, that's like a 10 point difference, uh, in the score. So I might, I might give up some points, maybe get a little bit more, get sleazy vig off of my, uh, my back here. <laughs> so, um, let's move to Saturday at 1230 on Fox sports. One ASU is a one and a half point favorite at Arizona. This is the territorial cup. We broke this game down like in decent length, about 15 minutes on wildcat radio. So we don't want to repeat ourselves, but, um, Rob, Without going into like the deep numbers, what, what does Beta Rank have the probability of ASU winning this game uh, when Vegas has listed them as a one and a half point favorite? So it has Arizona State at a seventy four percent win probability. Um, actually, it's roughly the same as we had it has uh, Washington State. Um, so that's about a seven point eight point favorite. Um, so I I like Arizona State more than that in this game, uh, more than the the, uh, the line anyway. I think that. Uh, Arizona's defense just isn't very good. And you, you're sort of having like in this Arizona state to beat them, uh, this season, like for some of the teams that have beat them, you also have to have Arizona state come out and just have a bad game. Um, you know, like they did at say Colorado or, uh, Stanford and, and Oregon. And not that they haven't been up and down this season. They certainly have. Um, and when they're bad, they can be beat. But, uh, I think this ASU offense, I have enough confidence in them to win the game and, and cover. Yeah, I agree. Give me the devils. I just don't believe in this Arizona team too much. There is certainly a chance that Arizona can win this game. The one thing that I'm the most worried about is Khalil Tate playing hero ball, which he tends to do when he's playing in the Territorial Cup or if he's playing USC. Like He just feels like he has to win the game by himself, which is frustrating because uh, he has this why it's a team game. So, um, right. yeah, give me ASU. Let's move Saturday to 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Colorado is a 12.5-point underdog at Cal. Twelve and a half points, man. That that is that is a lot of points against a Cal team that cannot move the ball one bit. Um, with that said, Colorado <laughs> scored seven points against Utah <laughs> at home uh, in the snow. And uh, let's talk about that game here. Utah thirty, Colorado seven. Utah wraps up its Pac-12 championship, uh, Pac-12 South championship. I don't want to speak too far ahead here. Um, this did you watch this game, Rob? The Utah game. Yeah. The Utah Colorado game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this game was horrendous in the first half. Uh, it was a snowy mess. Um, it was seven, seven, uh, Utah really couldn't get it figured out. Um, Colorado was, I mean, and, and this is, you know, Shelly, you know, in the back of running back, um, and they, you know, they were kind of struggling on offense against this Colorado defense in the snow and the cold in the, uh, the flip side of it was Colorado, uh, just could not do much of anything against this Utah. This very, very good Utah defense, even with Chase, Chase Anson ejected. Um, the second half, though, totally different story. Utah figures it out. They didn't run the ball, which I think a lot of people were expecting them to do, given the weather uh, and how they had totally gutted Oregon by just running the ball down their throat. 
Um, they uh, threw the ball. Shelly threw the ball pretty well, uh, which has to give you a little confidence if you're a Utah fan uh, going forward. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I think Utah did a really, really good job uh, wrapping it up in Colorado in some sloppy uh, conditions and uh, against the team that in theory was playing for their coach's job, uh, which he then lost. I'm going to take Colorado in this game. 12 and a half points. I, well, it's here, too many points. It's too, too, many points. It's too many points against a team that can't score so, the ball. And I hate taking a team – I hate picking against a team that fired its coach in the previous week. Like almost every year that like it happens over and over and over that team comes out the next game and plays with its head on fire, has something to prove they're playing for their coach. The, you know, the, the interim's rallying them. Plus they have Steven Montez. It's not like this team can't move the ball. I understand that Cal's defense is quite good, but uh, 12 and a half points. You're going to give that to me. I'll, I'll take those points. I think Colorado scores at least 21 in this game, uh, which keeps them close enough. Uh, eh, 21, maybe 17, uh, which is still going to keep them well more than, close uh the, to yeah. this cal offense uh, what were you gonna say rob so colorado i mean cal is a 71.7 so roughly 72 percent favorite in this game in the model that is 7.22 points in the model so that's not 12 i will i mean i don't i i don't want to watch any of this colorado <laughs> offense up against this cal I mean, this cal defense is just a, a like an octopus monster from the deep like they tackle so well they are so disciplined um, and they've, they've started to get some decent pressure on the passer. Bacay is having a real breakout season for them. I, but that's just, that's still too many points because Cal's offense is just trash. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it. Like, Give me Colorado. And Colorado's going to give Montez just a bottle of Jack and just say, go to town, buddy, and just sling it around. Eat all, like, the, <laughs> eat all the Red Baron pizza you want, bud. Like, <laughs> knock yourself, like have, have, yourself, have yourself a Red Baron and Jack breakfast, and let's go. Let's yeah, go. Just play, play fast and loose, baby. Fast and loose. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right, cool. So the next game we have... Saturday at 5 p.m. on ABC. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! So bad. Let's 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 title this correctly. This is Clay Helton's Viking funeral, <laughs> and he has not been fired, so we can't bet on USC. It hasn't actually happened yet. All, that rule only applies when the coach has actually been fired. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame is an 11 and a half point favorite on the road at USC, and this could get ugly. I think right, like. Well, so what do you? I don't. I don't know anything about Notre Dame aside from the game that they played against Stanford, which I watched in full. I know they are good. I know their defense is pretty good. But um, let's. What's what's the update on the numbers here? Um, so Notre Dame comes in at number seven. Um, they are twenty-one on offense. They are number seven on defense. They are number twenty-six on special teams. Um, USC is not anywhere near number seven. Um, they are number sixty-nine. So congrats nice. on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 79 on offense, 50 on defense and 71 on special teams. The model loves, uh, us Notre Dame in this game. Um, it has this actually maxed out. So oh, Notre Dame, roughly a 98.45% favorite to win this game. So, um, the, like the way that the probability works out is that the distance between these two teams and where beta rank puts their scores, uh, there've been roughly like almost uh, 1100 games uh, in the data that I have uh, of games in this distance space. And um, there have been 11 upsets in 1100 games. So um, ish. Upsets though, not not the spread, right? Just the upsets. 
Yeah. So, but I mean, that this roughly works out to almost thirty points. See, in Oregon State, uh, Oregon State, Oregon wasn't in there. So yeah, they, I, I could sprinkle the money on the money line there, Oregon State. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, you, I mean, there's a chance, but um, yeah, this this Notre Dame team, I mean, they just massacred Stanford early in the year, um, and they've been playing a lot. They they've been they've been they haven't been as high in my model in parts of the year as they have started to come on late. They've started to play better as the year has gone on, um, and I, I I really like this Notre Dame team. I feel like they're surging a little bit coming into this game. Meanwhile, USC is, uh, I mean, basically like afterwards in UCLA played held inspired. So uh, the, the, the team is running around. I mean, JT Daniels is running around saying that it's not Clay Helton's fault because the players didn't execute. And I'm like, whose fault is it that the players didn't execute? Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Like, um, this is, this is all but a done deal. I mean, this is, and it's at home. I mean, if Notre like oh, Notre it's, gonna, it's gonna get so if if Notre Dame goes up like twenty, you know, twenty one seven in the second quarter, it's just the boobers are gonna be at. It's gonna be nasty. <laughs> I mean, the, the only people that will be left at the stadium will be Notre Dame fans, and Notre Dame does travel well, so I do expect a lot of Notre Dame fans to pick up tickets to this game because USC fans will be selling them. Um, and USC fans who want to yell expletives at Clay Helton. <laughs> <laughs> How many interceptions does JT Daniels throw in this game? Four. Oh. No, I mean, that's, that's no four. I mean, he's four, right? Like, I mean, he, he plays five hundred. That's that's their most effective offense. But you, like, you can get away with that against a lot of defenses in the Pac-12 because they don't have world-class athletes that can go up for jump balls against USC's wide receivers. But uh, Notre Dame does. Do you think we see Jack Sears? <laughs> I mean, it's going to get that bad, I think. <laughs> out of the bunker? I mean, out of Matt Fink, out of off of injury time. And I think Matt Fink is healthy enough. But, like, I, I mean, I would have thought you would have played him last week. Do we see that Ross Powers? So crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, for USC? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, might as well. Um, I just... I, I was amazed that Daniels was left in the game. He made inexplicably stupid. Th- I mean, there were two interceptions and JT Daniels has had some doozy interceptions this season. And he had two interceptions in that UCLA game. And the first one was like, that's the dumbest JT Daniels interception I've seen all year. And then he threw a worse one. Like, it was <laughs> so bad. Oh my gosh. So bad. Uh, okay, cool. Well, uh, I'm glad that we're both emphatically <laughs> going to be, uh, yeah. Give me the Irish by a million. Like, it should be ugly. Oh, my gosh. All right. Final game, Saturday at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. BYU is a 13-and-a-half-point underdog going into Utah. I watched the BYU-Cal game, which was a disaster. And I watched the BYU-Arizona game, which was also a disaster. And I have concluded by watching those two games that I don't want to watch a minute of this game. <laughs> but yeah. I, but I, don't, I haven't watched them since, so I'm not sure. Maybe they've turned it around. Who knows? Uh, yeah, they're okay. I mean, BYU is not great. Uh, Utah's got roughly an 86.44, um, probability in the model. Um, that is about 14.4 points. Okay. Um, so, but I, man, like I, I don't like, you could argue that BYU is going to come into this game motivated. Um, (laughs) it's a rivalry game. Sure. Um, they played a little better uh, as the season has rolled on, just a little better anyway. 
Um, where are they ranked out there at 68? Um, they're at 100, 100 on offense, 40 on defense. They do have a decent defense and 46 on special teams. But even with the points here, oh, and you oh, no, but Utah still doesn't have their starting quarterback. I know so that's the back. like right if BYU's defense shows uh, up, how are they going to move the ball? Oh, this game's going to be um, like 10 to 13 to zero or 13 to three or something stupid. No, it'll be like just under the spread. Um, I don't like, I mean, I feel like this Utah team is, is putting it together a little bit more. And I, I still, what was the spread again? 13 and a half. Give me Utah. The, the model thinks it's 14. What the heck? I still think the model is a little high on the Utah offense. Um, and it hasn't fully factored in the, the injuries yet, but yeah, I, I think Utah comes out motivated. They've had a kind of things going their way this year and that defense is good. Yeah, give me BYU, and the reason being that it's a rivalry Ooh. game. If the number is basically close to your model, you know, like, <laughs> and, and the fact that BYU has a good defense and Utah is kind of sorting through some stuff. I, I mean, I think I think Utah wins. I want Utah to win. I want. I do think a Utah versus Washington State game would be quite fun, particularly with Utah secondary. So I'm going to be. Don't wanna, for- I do not want to watch Utah Washington again. I'm sorry to um, all of the Utah fans that we have and the Washington fans. I just I don't want to watch that game. The second half of that game was uh, an affront to modern football. <laughs> but it's going to be with Gardner Minshew, like the the spruce. No, no, up. Washington State. No, not. I will happily watch Washington State Utah again. Happily watch that game again. I do not that Washington game early in the season oh. where Utah Washington played. And the second half was just a series of both teams blitzing and like Jake Browning and, um, Huntley, uh, yeah, Huntley, uh, just like buckling under pressure. Yeah, Huntley did his best Khalil Tate impression, which is basically oh, just <laughs> horrendous. Like no one could run the ball. No one could throw the ball. No one could do anything. It was, just mind numbing. Do not make me watch that. I Get it can't. together, Washington <laughs> State. Like, let's save us all. The, I forgot about that game. They wiped that I out of my memory. Love, love that Washington State Utah game, which I did watch early in the season, and it was on Pac-12. Was like an actual fun game. Um, and I think Utah fans, like they, they did lose on a. They, there's a questionable call in that game um, that went Washington State's way that helped them win the game. Uh, but I would still say, like. Washington, like both of these teams are far better than they were then. And I would, I would love to see that rematch. Okay. Um, but you, man, like you, I just want you to let you know, you are going to hear it. If Utah covers, <laughs> from, <laughs> well, it won't Utah. be the first time and it won't be the last time. <laughs> they will not. There are things that they will forgive, but picking BYU in a jello mode mold bowl is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It'll be, look, I'm, I'm rooting for Utah, but, um, it's a rivalry game. It'll be cold and BYU's defense is pretty good. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, it would be funny if Utah lost though. Like, like you Twitter would oh, explode. And I follow a considerable number of Utah fans. And it's like, we, we are, we are like the, the Ute man podcast. If you get a chance to listen to them, they do yeoman work covering uh, that Utah football program. I do not want to see the Utah Twitter meltdown if they lose to BYU because they have talked 
massive, massive amounts of shit about this season and they, about BYU. I mean, BYU's been kind of down for a while, and they have talked so much smack. And if they had to eat any of that back, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they get mad when like Kyle Kuzma gets called for a charge, and it's not. I mean, like <laughs> imagine what they're going to do when this oh, stuff happens. Like, one of my favorite things that Utah fans occasionally retweet that ends up my Twitter feed is like they religiously read um, <clears throat> one of the uh, BYU message boards. <laughs> just like surface things and like talk mad shit about what is good being said on like cougarboard.com or something like that like it is i mean it's pretty hilarious um and byu for like a, and i having grown up in wyoming and um watched joe tiller teams go up against uh some of the old lavelle edwards teams like it was um byu fans can have their head up there you know what's but man, like Utah fans have talked just mad crap all season. Like I just, I just like I would be like the, the puckering that would go on in Salt Lake city is just unbelievable. But, um, I hope it's, uh, I actually, I hope it's, I hope it's beat down because, uh, I think Utah, I, I, I like the Utah's kind of separated themselves from BYU in this and, uh, in this game, uh, in this rivalry. Right on. Well, uh, just to give a heads up, so I am 41 and 20, 46 and 21 against the spread. Rob, you are 41 and 32 against the spread. But Rick, man, so Rick uh, Denice, who comes on the podcast, 44 and 29 against the spread. He's two behind me. He's having the heck of a year. And every, <laughs> every week. Hey, I'm also having a heck of a year. <laughs> yeah, you know, like whatever, man. <laughs> but like, Every week he goes like four and one and I go four and one too. So it must be maddening to, uh, <laughs> to not be able to, yeah. to pull away, but shouts to you too. You've, you've done a really good job this year. So hopefully, um, our friends that have been, uh, riding with us have made a little bit of money from this podcast this year. Uh, we'll see what we do, how we do at the end of this year. And again, we'll be continuing to do the bowl games, which I think will be quite fun, particularly with your numbers, Rob. Um, I'm hoping I love bowl. I love bowl season. Last year, the model went eight and one on PAC 12 bowls. Like, uh, so it picked all not PAC 12 teams. (laughs) The, the one that it got wrong was Oregon. Oh. Cause it didn't know, it didn't know that like Royce Freeman wasn't going to play. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But it even, it had Utah as a very slight favorite in their game. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that'll be really fun. Last year we did a, um, a bowl preview. We actually wrote little like fun vignettes of all 40 bowls. Uh, I'm going to check with oh, Ryan. Ring- wow. Yeah. I'm going to check with Ryan Ringdell, see if he's up for doing that again. It was hyster- like, and, and he's quite, um, he's quite fun. So, uh, we usually like pull out little tidbits of the players and stuff and kind of make fun of the coaches and all that stuff. Like, I think he called the, um, the heart of Dallas bowl, like the, the beating blood pump from like, <laughs> I forget what he called. Like, uh, anyway, uh, I'm not doing it justice, but just know that if we do those, we will release them and we'll tweet them out because the, they are quite good and we have a lot of fun doing them. So stick with the podcast. We'll continue to go throughout the Pac-12 championship and bowl season. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you next week.